Just as we see your wisdom and glory in nature around us, God, may we hear your word for us in the words of these readings, that by the power of the Spirit, we may draw closer to you. Through your great preacher, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'm going to change the first reading. Oftentimes when I pick lectionary texts, way ahead of time, once I actually get into reading them, I wonder, why did they put these together? Why not put the obvious Old Testament reading from Isaiah this week? So rather than Nehemiah, we're going to look at Isaiah 61, 1 through 11. The Lord God's Spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for the captives and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vindication for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for Zion's mourners, to give them a crown in place of ashes, oil of joy in place of mourning, a mantle of praise in place of discouragement. They will be called oaks of righteousness, planted by the Lord to glorify himself. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore formerly deserted places. They will renew ruined cities, places deserted in generations past. Foreigners will stay and shepherd the sheep, and strangers will be your farmers and vine dressers. You'll be called the priests of the Lord, Ministers of our God, they will say about you, you will feed the wealth of the nations and fatten yourselves on their riches. Instead of shame, their portion will be doubled. Instead of disgrace, they will rejoice over their share. They will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and dishonesty. I will faithfully give them their wage and make with them an enduring covenant. Their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants among the peoples. All who see them will recognize that they are a people blessed by God. I surely rejoice in the Lord. My heart is joyful because of my God, because God has clothed me with clothes of victory, wrapped me in a robe of righteousness like a bridegroom in a priestly crown and like a bride adorned with jewelry. As the earth put out its growth, as a garden grows its seeds, so the Lord God will grow righteousness and praise before all the nations. Reading from Psalm 16. Protect me, God, because I take refuge in you. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have nothing. Now, as for the holy ones in the land, the magnificent ones that I was so happy about, let their suffering increase because they hurried after a different God. I won't participate in their blood offerings. I won't let their names cross my lips. You, Lord, are my portion, my cup. You control my destiny. Their property lines have fallen beautifully for me. Yes, I have a lovely home. I will bless the Lord who advises me. Even at night, I am instructed in the depths of my mind. I always put the Lord in front of me. I will not stumble because he is on my right side. That's why my heart celebrates and my mood is joyous. Yes, my whole body will rest in safety because you won't abandon my life to the grave. 
You won't let your faithful followers see the pit. You teach me the way of life, and your presence is total celebration. Beautiful things are always in your right hand. And our sermon text comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. This comes right after Jesus' temptation in the wilderness in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, as he normally did, and stood up to read. The synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the synagogue assistant and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began to explain it to them. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. Everyone was raving about Jesus. So impressed were they by the gracious words flowing from his lips. They said, this is Joseph's son, isn't it? Then Jesus said to them, undoubtedly you will quote this saying to me, doctor, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard you do in Capernaum. He said, I assure you that no prophet is welcome in the prophet's hometown. And I can assure you that there were many widows in Israel during Elijah's time when it didn't rain for three and a half years, and there was a great food shortage in the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to a widow in the city of Zephrathath, in the region of Sidon. There were also many persons with skin diseases in Israel during the time of the prophet Elijah. But none of them were cleansed. Instead, Naaman the Syrian was cleansed. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was filled with anger. They rose up and ran him out of town. They led him to the crest of the hill on which the town had been built so that they could throw him off the cliff. But he passed through the crowd and went on his way. The word of God for the people of God. If you ever want a challenge, and this would be a challenge, read through the book of Leviticus or the book of Deuteronomy. It's no small feat. It's hard to get through because it is just a basically bullet point list of laws, rules, and requirements of the people of Israel. But, if you can get through that, what you will notice is that the rules and the festivals and the requirements create this rhythm to life. It's a cycle that emerges. There's a daily cycle, times of prayer, things you do in a day. There's a weekly cycle with the Sabbath day that's set aside to gather together in the synagogues and to worship. A day of rest. There's rhythms to the month and year, different festival days that you'll gather together with one another. 
But the biggest cycle that emerges is a 50-year cycle, so a generational cycle, where every 50 years, there's a year of jubilee. One whole year to not work. One whole year to celebrate. And there were a bunch of requirements as to what was to happen in this year of jubilee. All the land would be given back to the original owning tribe. Remember, when they went into the promised land, God divided up the land to, 12, well, to the 11 of the 12 tribes, and the Levites, the priestly class, did not receive their own land. Anyone who was indentured or a slave to another was to be freed. All debts were to be forgiven in the year of Jubilee. And there were other requirements as well. Now, historians aren't, and biblical scholars aren't unanimous in this, but most don't think a year of Jubilee was ever celebrated. There's a lot of writings about the year of Jubilee and an insane amount of writings as to whether it's the 49th year or the 50th year. Apparently that was a hot ticket item for the rabbis. And then what really is required in the year of Jubilee? Is it only if you're in the promised land do you have to celebrate it? So anyways, there's all this kind of arguing back and forth about what it really means. And in the midst of arguing back and forth, it doesn't appear they ever got around to actually celebrating it. Now, if you've known a human being ever, that's not really shocking news that they never got around to celebrating the year of Jubilee because it carried with it some requirements that, you know, humans aren't real good at. Voluntarily giving up your land and giving it back to the original owner. Forgiving anyone who is indebted to you. Releasing anyone who's a servant to you or a slave to you. That's going to cause some hesitation unfortunately. All of this is background to the text that Jesus chose in the synagogue that day to give his first recorded sermon or a recorded synopsis of his sermon. Over time, the year of Jubilee was seen more and more as something that was to come in the future through the Messiah. It was something that God would kind of do to the earth when the anointed one came. And that's what Isaiah is talking about in that text. What would happen in this spiritual jubilee that would come through the Messiah. So Jesus, in taking this Isaiah scroll and rolling through it towards the end to find the right passage, says to the people that this is fulfilled today. You're hearing this. And he didn't say this, but because I am the promised one, I am the anointed one, and all of these things are coming to fruition. Now initially they're thrilled. Their response, they just marvel at how he can speak, how eloquent he is. But Jesus squashes that pretty fast. And ultimately... He equates all of the people gathered there to those unrighteous people in the Old Testament stories who were excluded from God's, God's righteousness and God's good graces. 
all of those people who were deemed unrighteous, disobedient, and who had judgment on them. So they reacted how people react when they're upset. They had to drive him out, and they wanted to throw him off a cliff. If there's one thing I am, I guess, both reassured and disheartened by is we don't seem to change much over time. We're doing the same thing in our modern context. Although many of us aren't going to literally try to drive some off a cliff, that still kind of happens with threats of violence to people. I was reading a story about a woman in, I forget where, who was at a school board meeting and said, you know, she's got her guns loaded and she's bringing them to school if they try to make her kids wear a mask. And that's not the first time I've heard stories like that. And she said she was sorry to the police and the school board, but they're charging her with a crime, which is good. We haven't changed much from this story. When we hear things we don't like, rather than look inward and say, well, maybe there's something here. Maybe I need to adjust, and maybe I need to learn, and maybe I need to change and grow. Rather than that, we say, we got to drive out this person that's saying things I don't like. We have to shut them up. That's both discouraging and, I guess, kind of reassuring that this still speaks to us today. That Jesus' words still matter to us. That we still have a lot to learn about ourselves and about God's promised one, the Messiah. This year of Jubilee that never seemed to happen was coming through Jesus, finally. The good news was coming. The good news here is framed just as it was in the Old Testament. It's good news to the poor, to the proclaim the release of prisoners, to the recovery of sight for the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of God's favor, the year of Jubilee. When we talk about the good news, this is Jesus telling us what the good news is. Not everyone took this as good news. If you were a person in power, if you were a person of wealth, if you were a person overseeing the prisoners, if you were a person that oppressed others for your own benefit, this was not good news. And those people worked tirelessly to trap Jesus and to shut him up. Finally thinking they did it on Good Friday. But they missed the full story. You see, when God chooses by methods and means that I will never comprehend or understand to move and work in this world, nothing can stop it. We can't thwart God's plans to the best of our ability to try. We can't get in the way. We can't stop what God is doing. 
And it will happen with or without us. With or without our participation, it will happen. Right from the start of Jesus' ministry, we've had now several stories at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that show just how radical Jesus was to this human world and to the systems in it. Jesus wasn't just some wise person that had some sayings that we can quote. Jesus came to turn the world upside down. To lower those who were raised up and to raise up those who were deemed low. To heal what was broken. To bring redemption and forgiveness rather than just punishment. To preach good news. It's good news for us today. It's good news for us as we look at our world and are dumbfounded by what we see, as we lose heart or are disheartened by what's going on. It's good news for us to know that this work is still happening. That Jesus is still good news. And that we as people who try to follow Jesus day in and day out are called to participate in the good news. To be good news. We're good news when we see someone in need and we reach out and we help. We're good news. You see, one of the mistakes that happened over time in Christian theology is the good news was reduced to some spiritual thing that happened that we couldn't really see that we couldn't really experience with our senses. And yet here Jesus is saying, no, the good news is these tangible things. These are things you can witness, that you can participate in, that you can see happen. That is the good news. I believe more than anything, what this pandemic is teaching us, I hope, is getting back to a truer sense of what it means to follow Jesus. To what it means to be a disciple and a follower. Bringing tangible good news. Bringing healing. Forgiveness. Redemption. Raising up the poor and the oppressed. That's the work we we're called to participate in as the church. And we lost sight of that at some point. And that's the work God's inviting us back to. It's also an invitation back to receive these things for ourselves. To know what our worth is. That we are of such high worth that the God who created the heavens and the earth sent the Messiah to us, called us by name, sealed us to God permanently, forgave us, redeemed us, and continues to teach us and refine us to a new creation. Let us be good news. 
Let us receive it ourselves and be good news in this world. Let us be the ones who others point to. The ones that don't fit into how the world operates. Let us be such good news that some despise us for it. Because that is the example Jesus sets. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Community Presbyterian Church in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. 